Leviticus 27. Verses 30 through 32. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's the Lord's. It's holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. So tonight we are continuing with part three of this lesson that I have entitled The Truth about tithing, the truth about tithing. Let's put our Bibles down, lift our hands, lift our voices. Let's ask God to speak to us tonight. I need His help. I need His touch. Let's talk to the Lord together. Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Let's worship him together, everyone. Let's praise him right now, can we? Let's praise him right now. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Uh, because it's been a couple of weeks since we dealt with this, I want to take a few minutes and review a few things that we covered in the last two lessons. Um, we started out by pointing out to you that there are those who reject the teaching concerning tithing on the basis that they say it is an Old Testament law. And they reject it flatly because they believe that it was strictly under the law of Moses. I, have, I took some time to show you that everything we believe as New Testament Christians, as apostolic believers, everything we believe is rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. Our doctrine is founded upon the Old Testament. In fact, the Bible says that we as a church are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
Now that verse means the New Testament and the Old Testament. That's our foundation. That's what we're built upon. And then I talk to you about the, the law of Moses. That really there were three sets of laws that were established at Mount Sinai. Um, because the Jewish people fit into three distinct categories. They were a nation of people. and As a nation, they had to have civil laws. Laws that governed them and uh, gave to them the rules of what it meant to live among their nation. These these laws dealt with things like crime and punishment, uh, caring for the poor, the treatment of strangers. Those kinds of things were part of the civil law. They affected the Jews as a nation. We are not part of the Jewish nation today, and so the civil law does not apply to us. Secondly, they were a Jewish religion. They had laws that governed their worship. These were things like their dietary laws. Animal sacrifices, holidays, all of these things were a part of their ceremonial law. We are not a part of the Jewish religion, and the ceremonial law does not apply to us. But they also had a third category of laws, and that is the moral law. That applied to them because they were not only a nation and a religion, but they were first and foremost God's people. The moral law dealt with what was holy and profane in the eyes of God. It dealt with what was right and what was wrong from God's perspective. It expressed God's morality. Now the moral law did not begin with Moses or Mount Sinai. The moral law has always existed. The moral law did not end at Calvary. It continues today. And I used, for example, the Ten Commandments. I don't know of anybody that thinks we are exempt from the Ten Commandments today. Well, why do the Ten Commandments still apply to us? Because they express God's morality. It's always been wrong to murder. It's always been wrong to lie. It's always been wrong to steal. It's always been wrong to commit adultery. It's always been wrong to worship other gods. It's always been right to honor your parents. These things are a part of the Ten Commandments. They are an expression of God's morality. 
And he said, I am the Lord, I change not. And so anything that is a part of God's morality doesn't change. That's why, and I, I explained this, I think in our last lesson, that's why Deuteronomy 22.5, that a man is not to wear a woman's garment, and a woman's not to wear anything that even pertains to a man. The reason that still applies today is because God said it's an abomination to him. He hates it. In fact, if you want to be technical about it, what he really said was not that he hates the action. He said all that do so. That's what he said. You can read it for yourself. He didn't say doing it is what I hate. He said all that do it, I hate. That's what he said. Oh. Another lesson for another night. But that's a part of God's morality. When he said he hates something, that expresses his morality. When he says something is holy unto him, that too expresses his morality. And that's why, as we read in our text, God said, the tithe is holy to him. That makes that a part of God's morality. And so it is still binding upon us today. I showed you in the last lesson how that, that, that people were paying tithes long before Mount Sinai. 280 years before the law, Jacob paid tithes. He had obviously learned it from his grandfather, Abraham, who 420 years before the law had paid tithes. So these things were going on half a millennium. Millennia. Half a millennia. Before the law. And they continue to this day. I also talked about the three separate tithes that were laid upon the people of Israel. They had a tithe for each of the sets of laws. Each set of laws incorporated a different tithe. They had the poor tithe, which was a part of their civil law. It was designated to take care of the widows, the orphans, the other poor. It was received once every three years, and a portion of it was given to the Levites. They also had the feast tithe, which was a part of their ceremonial law. It was ordained to pay their way to Jerusalem during their holy days. Three times a year, they had to go to Jerusalem. So three times a year they had to pay an extra tithe or collect an extra tithe off of their things and then use that to get them to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. But even then a part of that went to the Levites. And then there was the Levitical tithe, which was entirely for the livelihood of the Levites and that was paid off of everything that became an increase to them. So whenever there was an increase, they owed the Levitical tithe. And it went for the livelihood of the priests 
for the Levites and only for the Levites. Um, I pointed out to you in our last lesson that it was never predicated upon need. It never depended on whether the Levites needed it or not because it belonged to God. God was just directing how it would be used. It would be used by the Levites, but it was never theirs. It belonged to God. And it didn't matter if the Levites had more than they needed, because this was God's. And so the people were obligated and are obligated to pay their tithe regardless of how much that amounts to. The second thing I pointed out to you is that it was never used to finance buildings or repairs. Those things came through a different venue. They came through free will offerings. The people were obligated to tithe, but God wanted people to give above the tithe. Because all you're doing when you tithe is returning to God what's already His. You really haven't given God anything until it goes above 10%. And I made mention, if you really want to know what you've really given to God... Look at your contribution statement. Remove the amount that's tithing. And the rest of that is what you gave God. The tithing is what you returned to God. All right, now, I, I, I spent time showing you the tithing in the Old Testament. But one of the things that I've heard many times is that it's never taught in the New Testament. Tithing is not addressed in the New Testament. Well, I am going to prove that to be an error, that statement to be an error. Tonight, we are picking up with the lesson. We're going to cover some, some new territory now. We're going to go to the New Testament and look at tithing in the New Testament. All right? So let me begin with the fact that Jesus taught tithing. When people say to me that, that tithing is not in the New Testament, they evidently are not reading the same New Testament that I'm reading. Because Jesus taught it. Let's, let's begin here, Brother Goff. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Matthew 23 and 23. Jesus is speaking, and here's what he says. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye, have to, you, ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. All right, now let's, let's examine what this statement says. You pay tithe. I want to say you pay tithe. Now that's the topic. This is what you do. Then he said, but here's what you don't do. You've omitted judgment, mercy, and faith. You do pay tithes. You don't 
use proper judgment, extend mercy, or have faith. Now he says, these ought ye to have done. And not leave the other undone. How much clearer does it get? Jesus didn't say, focus on judgment, mercy, and faith, period. He said, add that to what you're already doing. Don't stop doing what you're doing. What did he just say they were doing? Paying tithes. So Jesus clearly said, don't stop paying tithes. Now how can anybody say it's not in the New Testament? Now, I've, I've actually had people make the statement. Because I'm telling you, people want to find a way around. There are people who just want to find a way around this. Somehow, they have got to get free of this. They don't want to do it. Some people. And so I've actually had people say, well, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. So that does not apply to us. Okay. If that's the case, why do we have to obey John 3 and 5? John 3 and 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. To whom was Jesus speaking when he said that? Let me tell you who. John chapter 3 verse 1 tells us who. There was a man of the Pharisees. There was a man of the Pharisees. Named Nicodemus. Named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. A ruler of the Jews. Well, well, well. Jesus was speaking to a Pharisee. Are we bound by John 3 and 5? Of course we are. And we're also bound by Matthew 23, 23. They were not the only ones that ought to pay tithes. We ought to pay tithes. Now if one verse is not enough, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? So let me give you a second witness. Let's go to Matthew 22, the chapter before this, verses 19 through 21. Show me the tribute money, and they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is the image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Now let's think about what Jesus says in verse 21. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. Now what is the topic at hand? Look at verse 19 again. Look closely. Show me... The money. Right? That's what he said. Show me the money. And they brought unto him a penny. 
So what does he have in his hand? Money. He has money in his hand. And looking at the money, he says, Give Caesar what is Caesar's. And give God what is God's. Can I give you the interpretation thereof? Pay your taxes and pay your tithes. That's what he's saying. The part that Caesar's is the taxes. So what part of our money is God's? The tithe. So we've got two witnesses for Jesus teaching tithing. We, we really don't even have to go any further than that. If Jesus said do it, that ought to settle the question. But for some people it won't. Some people, some people three weeks of teaching on it won't settle the question. Not anybody here, of course. I'm talking about all the, all the people that will, that will circulate these lessons on the internet and pick them apart after I'm done. Um... But let's, let's continue on. I want to show you the Apostle Paul taught tithing. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and read verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 9 through 11. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth, thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Now, listen to what Paul said. He's going back to the Old Testament, and he's saying it's written in the Law of Moses. That when you've got an ox that is treading out the corn, don't put a muzzle over the mouth of that ox. You let that ox eat as much corn as he wants to eat. Now that's in the law of Moses. And then Paul asked this question. Is God concerned about how much an ox eats? In other words, what's the reason for this law? Why did God put it in the Old Testament? Did he put it there so you could make sure the ox always got enough to eat? Or, Paul says, did he put it there for our sakes? Then he answers his own question in verse uh, 10. He says, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written. God didn't say it for the ox. He said it for us. And he said it so that we would understand that he that plows 
should plow in hope. And he that threshes in hope could be a partaker of his hope. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, look at the next verse. If we've sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? What Paul is saying is, look, we are spending our lives sowing, planting, threshing your lives. We're trying to make you productive. Now, he said, is it, is it unreasonable that if we are putting spiritual things into your life, that are going to stay with you through eternity. Should you resent us gaining something carnal from you that's going to be gone in just a few days? He's saying you, Corinthians, and by extension you, New Testament Christians, are getting the better end of this deal. What you're getting from the ministry is going to carry you through eternity. You're not going to leave it behind. When you die, it's going with you. It's eternal. But what you're giving us, we're going to spend it on our light bills and our grocery bills. And when we die, we don't take any of it with us. Who's getting the better end of the deal? Now remember, he's talking here about this verse from the Old Testament where God said, don't muzzle the ox. Let the ox eat freely. Let me just say this. In, in this passage, the Apostle Paul forever destroyed the argument that what was done under the law has no effect on us under grace. This passage alone destroys that idea. In fact, there's nobody who proves this more than the Apostle Paul does. In his writings, he makes reference to over 240 Old Testament verses of Scripture. And that doesn't count the more than 100 Old Testament verses found in the book of Hebrews. Because some people don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. And they have the right to be wrong. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. And I have reason to believe that. But that's another lesson. But if you take all of that together, we're talking about nearly 350 times that the Apostle Paul made reference to Old Testament scriptures. And then we're not even counting how many times Matthew said, as it is written, or as the prophet said, or, and how many times Mark, and Luke, and John, 
made reference. We're not talking about how many times it's quoted in the book of Acts or referred to in the other epistles or the book of Revelation. I'm telling you, it's throughout the New Testament. If you destroy the Old Testament, you don't have a New Testament. There's nothing for it to stand on. But what Paul is saying is that the moral law is that uh, the, the moral law of God taught us that God has appointed certain rules for the support of those who labor. That's a part of God's morality. Whether a farmer, an ox, or a preacher. They're not to be regulated by anyone other than themselves and God with regards to how much they can take from the labors they bestow. Now, let's continue on in this passage. We're in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 9 through 11. Let's skip down to verse 13 now. Let's read verses 13 and 14. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they that which... And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Now, now, now look, again, we're, we're still in the same context, right? He's been talking about muzzling the ox. And now all of a sudden he's talking about those that minister about holy things. He's going back to the Old Testament system. The Levites, they that wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. What does that mean? That which people bring in... To give to God goes to the Levites. That was the Old Testament system. And now what does he say in verse 14? Even so hath even, the Lord. Oh, listen to this. Even so, in the same way that God set it up in the Old Testament, so it's set up in the New that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Those who took care of the tabernacle lived of the tabernacle. They lived of the tithing that was brought in. They lived even off of some of the offerings that were brought in. That's the way those that waited on the tabernacle lived. That's the way those that lived up or that waited on the temple lived. And God is saying, I want the same pattern followed through in the New Testament church. It's the same thing. And so Paul referred to the Old Testament method of ministerial support and applied it to the New Testament system. Just as the tithe was for the support of the Old Testament priesthood, even so, tithing is the way God has ordained for gospel preachers to live of the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 says this. Let the elders that rule well, rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his record. Laborer is worthy of his reward. The laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, I, I don't know. This is one of those things that I don't have an answer for. I don't know why the King James translators chose to translate this word reward. Uh, 
It is the exact same word that's used in the Gospels. This is a direct quote of what Jesus said. And the way Jesus said it was, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And it's the exact same Greek word. I have no idea why the King James translators decided to use a different word this time. I, I don't know. But it, it means he's worthy. The laborer is worthy of his hire. And so again, Paul's making reference to this ox. Don't muzzle the ox. He's already shown the principle here is taking care of the ministry through the tithing that comes in. And now he says that is the laborer's hire. This is a direct quote of, of Luke 10, verse 7. Let's, let's read that. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. The laborer is worthy of his hire. This is the verse to which I was referring. And, and, and again, I don't know why they used hire in Luke 10, 7 and reward in 1 Timothy 5, 18. I have no clue why they did that. Uh, it is, as I said, a direct quote. It's used exactly the same way. I, I, beyond me, I don't know. But you get the point. Paul quoted Jesus verbatim. And he is applying it to the livelihood of the ministry. Which we have already shown is tithing. Therefore, Paul is teaching tithing. That's the principle. Now, Paul discusses support of the New Testament ministry and bases his teaching on what the Scripture said. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Here's what? another uh, portion where Paul is really teaching tithing. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him. That teacheth in all good things. Let him that is taught in the word communicate. Now, this word, again, this is another, I'm, I'm guessing that in 1611, the word communicate meant something different than what it means today. Today it means talk to or send a message to. You know, to communicate is to have some kind of of, of dialogue with. That, that's not what this Greek word means. It does not mean to have dialogue with. It doesn't mean to talk to them or to send a message to them. The word communicate here means to share in their support. Let me read it from the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible says, Let him who receives instruction in the word of God share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his support. This is something that, you know, I, I know that here in America we have free education um, through grade 12 supposedly free education you're paying for it with your tax dollars you're paying for it they don't realize that 
but um, we are. And so it's, it's a little bit difficult for us to comprehend. But the fact of the matter is, in, in Paul's day and throughout most of the ages, anybody that was ever going to be taught expected to pay their teacher. It's just the way it was done. The teacher had to live. And nobody expected classes for free. And can I tell you, and I think most of you would agree with this, most of the time when we get something for free, we don't really appreciate it. Or else we get what we pay for. So the apostle says, don't just come to church and expect to be taught for free. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't, don't come to church and expect to be taught for free. You need to contribute to the support of your teacher. The International Standard Version says it this way, the person who is taught the word should share all his goods with his teacher. So I'm just, I'm just showing you that the King James translation, as much as I love the King James, I'm loyal to the King James, there are a few times, as you know, that I think in the last 400 plus years, language has changed and it's not quite as clear as it could be today. So don't think I'm throwing it under the bus and ready to get rid of it. I'm not. But I'm just showing you it's, it's language has changed and Sometimes it helps us to look at a few other translations to really get the idea of what's being said in a particular verse. And the whole idea of this verse is this. If you want a preacher, then pay your tithes. That's, that's, that's what he's saying. Again, I believe that Paul is the author of Hebrews, but for those who are wrong and think that he isn't, we're going to classify this differently, and I'm going to show you that the author of Hebrews. So Jesus taught tithing, Paul taught tithing, I'm going to show you that the author of Hebrews taught tithing. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 8, listen to this. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. Now, this is interesting. I wonder if any of these pointers work. I want to point my eye and blind myself here. That would not be a good thing. I don't want to blind you either. Sorry. Making sure you're awake there, Brother Golf. That's all. All right, so I want you to look at something. And here, men that die receive 
Is there anybody here that knows enough about English that can tell me the tense of that word? What? Yeah, that's... Now, the writer here is saying very clearly, this is going on as I write to you. This is present tense. Right now, this was written to the New Testament church. For those who say that tithing was only under the Old Testament system, Paul said, or the author of Hebrews, I beg your pardon. The author of Hebrews says, and first of all, and here, here, not out there, not among the Jews, but here in the church, men that die currently receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. This puts tithing in the present tense. This was written to tongue-speaking, Holy Ghost-filled, one God, apostolic, New Testament Christians. And it's obvious that even in the New Testament church, men were still receiving tithes. So you know how people get around this? And I really, I've heard these arguments. I actually had a man say, there's no Gentile that was ever commanded to pay tithes. So I guess you're just going to throw away everything I've just read from the New Testament and say none of that applies to the Gentiles. So what else are the Gentiles excluded from? I mean, if that's the case, let's just throw away the New Testament. Well, of course, that's not the case. The New Testament was written to Gentiles as much as it was to Jews. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that Christ has torn down that wall of partition between the Jew and Gentile. Any New Testament scripture is just as applicable to the Gentile as it is to the Jew. And so I actually had somebody say one time, well, you don't find Peter telling Cornelius to pay tithes. Well, no, but I don't find Peter telling Cornelius not to commit adultery either. I don't find Peter telling Cornelius not to kill. I mean, seriously, these are the arguments I've heard through the years. Peter was sent to Cornelius to tell him how to get into the church. But he was already a devout man who gave much alms to God always. He was no doubt already in the practice of tithing. It wasn't necessary. Acts 10 was written to show that Gentiles could be a part of the church not to prove or disprove any particular standard of the church. Peter didn't tell Cornelius he had to dress modestly. Are Gentiles exempted from that? So, 
If only what's found in Acts 10 is all that applies to Gentiles today, then adultery's okay, murder's okay, sodomy's okay, because none of these things are mentioned in Acts 10. You know, we really ought to think about these arguments before we throw them out there. So, I've got just a few minutes left and four pages. I don't know how quickly I can go through this. I really didn't want to go into a fourth part of this lesson. Um, But I don't see any way to get through four pages of notes. So, I guess we'll ask the musicians to come and close out here and because I'm getting ready to move into another section of all of this. Um, I, I hope that if there's any question in anybody's mind on the subject of tithing or if there was a question in anybody's mind on the subject of tithing, that I have proven to you that it was started in the Old Testament, but it continued in the New. And God still requires that we be faithful to Him in our tithing. In fact, I'll just throw this out there for you to consider on top of everything else. Surely we believe that the Ten Commandments apply to both Jew and Gentile. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not steal. And God said... You have robbed me by not paying your tithe. Therefore, if you don't pay your tithe, you are stealing. Therefore, you are breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Nobody would doubt That's a part of God's morality. I think I'll just be faithful to God. How about you? I'm just going to make sure that God gets his part and more. Every time God blesses me with an increase, you can count on 10% of that increase. Plus, in fact, I don't, I I don't, I've said this before, we'll get into offerings hopefully in the next lesson. That's part of what I want to cover. I don't have time to get into it. I, I don't require and have never required a percentage of offering. I believe an offering ought to be a free will thing. I think it ought to be something you want to do. I do think it's a good practice to set a percentage. I really do. I think that setting a percentage keeps you from just 
throwing in the leftovers to God. We'll talk about that when we get to that part of the lesson. I think if you put yourself into a mode that I'm going to give God this percent above the tithe, then you never just give him what's left. And for me, for many years, I have given God 10% above my tithe. I don't say that for applause. I don't say that for anybody to feel good about me. I'm just telling you, it's something I started practicing a long time ago. There are others who do that. In fact, I have had folks that I had one individual. Um, she got married and moved off. But she was actually giving 20% offering above her tithe. God has blessed her through the years because of that. Sometimes people look at those who are blessed and they grow jealous. But often they don't know the kind of sacrifice it took to reach this level of blessing. But I can tell you this, God's blessings are not always accompanied by a dollar sign. There are sometimes God blesses you in ways that are not financial. God spares your life or the life of one of your loved ones. God turns around a bad situation on the job. God does things in a miraculous way. To repay you for your financial sacrifice. We should never look at giving and especially at tithing as some kind of get rich quick scheme. And I have seen people do that. I've seen people who thought I'm going to come give to God this big amount and God's going to turn around and give me a big huge amount in return. And then they grow bitter when it doesn't happen. But see, if you give it expecting God to give you back more, you really didn't give Him anything. You give it whether He gives back to you or not. You give it, number one, because 10% is His. And then you give offerings because you love Him. And you love His kingdom. And you love his house. And you love the cause. 